0: Welcome to the Power of a Woman podcast. This podcast is centered around helping you reclaim and finding yourself as a woman, connecting with how you want to feel in your life and body and changing the narrative on not only how we approach health for women, but also how we treat ourselves and the stories that we tell ourselves. I'm so grateful you're here. Let's dive in. welcome i'm here with chelsea today she is an author and a podcaster and a speaker she has so many different facets to her but one of the reasons that we connect is she is very passionate about finding yourself worth and truly valuing yourself she has such a great story and things to share that I really wanted to have her on to speak to you. So I'm going to let her introduce herself and tell us a little bit about what led her to what she does now.
1: Well, thank you. I'm super excited to be here, Brooke. I'm Chelsea. Like you said, I go by Chelsea Austin is my brand, but my full name is Chelsea Austin Montgomery Dubian Vechter. I have a lot of names for a lot of people I love in my life. I am the daughter of two gay men who are actually celebrating their 40th anniversary this week. And they 11 years into their relationship decided that they wanted to have a child. I'm 28 and 28 years ago, it was not super common for gay couples to be having kids. And especially in my case, they wanted to keep it all in the family as best they could. Adoption is amazing and a wonderful, incredible thing to do, but for them, they really wanted to find a way biologically to keep us all linked and connected. So I'll use their first names because it makes it a lot less confusing. They use Kevin, my dad's sperm and Dennis's sister, my daddy's sister's egg and my cousin carried me. So when they talk about takes village, it took at least Uh, half a village to (laughs) put me together. And yeah, that is my story and a lot of what I've based my platform on. I have a blog and a podcast. I have a book coming out in April that's available for pre-order now called Inexplicably Me about my story with my parents. And I ended up kind of Without a plan in the career that I am now, which I feel like happens to so many people, I didn't even know this was a career I could have. After I graduated college in 2015 with a degree in theater and dance, I auditioned for a hot second and very quickly realized it was so not going to be my life. I loved theater. I love performing. I love being in front of people and making people laugh, but I went, Oh, if this is what I have to do, I'm just not built for it. And so I ended up working part-time at my parents' real estate company. It's where I met my husband. I'm super grateful for that time, but it was a very high stress job. And After not very long, I started having panic attacks almost every day. I was super overwhelmed. I was dealing with a lot of pressure, a lot of stress, a lot of burnout, honestly, very, very quickly. And I was only 22 when I started. And after about five years, I really hit the breaking point. I went, I can't do this anymore. I have to find something else to do, but I have no idea what it is I should do. And so I started to find little ways to give back to myself. I started to go, okay, write a blog. And my husband suggested that I write a book. And many people had said that I should write a book, but I was like, write a book. I don't know how to write a book. I wasn't even that great at English in school. Like, I don't know how to put an entire manuscript together. Come on. So I dismissed the idea so many times And then I started to just go, okay, maybe I'm just going to take a shot and see what I can do here about a book. And best advice I can possibly give anyone is to just give it a shot. Just try, see how it goes. And it ended up being this really cathartic process for me that I loved. I had a lot of fun writing. It was almost like getting a journal ready to share with the world is what it felt like for me because I'm by no means a fiction writer. My book is a memoir, but it was one of the best processes, most, oh, I don't know, relief-filled processes that it was my little way to give back to myself on the side because the whole time I was still working in real estate. And it kind of snowballed from there. I said, I was picked up breadcrumbs. I finally had enough to do in working on selling my manuscript to a publisher, working on my blog to say I'm going to leave real estate, and that's how I ended up creating a podcast and selling my book to a publisher, becoming a speaker, and ultimately getting my life coaching certification and finding that what my book was really all about was defining your worth for yourself and not letting anyone else define it for you and just decided that that's what I want my mission to be is to spread that idea and that feeling to as many people as possible. So that's the nutshell-ish version of how I got here.
0: <laughs> you know what? I, writing is something that is very healing that I resisted for so long. I told my business coach, she had mentioned a book and I was like, funny you say that because I've always secretly wanted to write a book, but it feels like a massive undertaking, right? But I also, even for years, resisted journaling. And I realized even just journaling for two to three minutes a day can be really healing. And there's stuff that comes out of you that you're like, I didn't even know that I was thinking that or feeling that way when you're doing it, that I feel like I can totally understand how it could feel that way when you're doing it.
1: Absolutely. And I think no one knows how to write a book before they do it. I mean, I guess people can study literature and fiction and writing, but most of the people that are writing memoirs, biographies are not writing from a place of having studied it. And I think you can totally do it from a place of just going, oh, here are my journal entries. I can turn that into a book.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's kind of go into that about self worth. What led you to want to talk about that? And for that,
1: (sighs) Yeah, I think because I've struggled with it so much is why I wanted to talk about it. And I struggled with it as a person who felt incredibly loved, incredibly supported, had a lot of privilege that I really didn't understand why I didn't have more self worth. And so, you know, and I had access to therapists and coaches and everything. And so I've been really working on this idea of self worth since I was a little kid without realizing it. And it cite as kind of the inciting incident that made me question my self worth was when I was in high school, I was sitting at a table of my peers and Someone asked me how my parents had me. And I explained, I was used to explaining it. i actually loved explaining it. And then someone else said, how much did it cost for them to have you? And I said, I don't know. Like, have you ever asked your parents how much it cost them to have you? (laughs) (laughs) I've not a question I thought of. And I said, "I, I don't know, but I guess it was a lot. And another girl across the table looked at me and said, well, were you worth it? And I think she meant it as a joke. Everyone around the table giggled and chuckled, and I didn't really know what to say to that. So I kind of laughed about it. And it wasn't until years later where I looked back and went, oh, her asking that question was the beginning of me showing the world that I can prove my worth. I can do enough that you will see I'm worthy. And I very much took it on also as at the time, there weren't a lot of gay couples with kids, especially not my age. And I wanted to prove to people that they were amazing parents, that they could do a great job. And in doing so, I then believed I had to be perfect. And so uh, there was a lot of perfectionism and people-pleasing and... I always say, I didn't even know what my favorite color was because I was so desperate to be liked by people, to be accepted by people, to show people that I was valuable, that I would just say, well, what's your favorite color? And then I would say, oh, that's mine too. And you really lose yourself in this cycle of how can I fit into your box? How can I be what you need me to be as opposed to what is it that I actually want to be? I struggled with that for a long time and I'm still working on it. It's a daily (laughs) thing, but it's something that I saw so many people wait and until they're 30, 40, 50, 60 to say, oh, now I'm going to figure out how I get self-worth and self-confidence. Help. We shouldn't have to wait. There should be access to it now. And people that can show you their ways to find it and access it as soon as possible.
0: It's something that we think just comes once we hit a certain milestone or achieve a certain thing in our life. And like you said, you know, you grew up in a family where you were very loved, right? And you had privilege and you had all these different things, but we assume that because somebody grew up that way that they just have it, right? It's just something that you get. And that's not the case. I guess it doesn't decipher how you grew up or where you came from or what you have or don't have for how somebody feels. And I think it's something that we need to realize like a lot of people could be struggling with. And sometimes some people don't even realize that they're struggling with it. We you know, misconceive it as other things. So I think that's very, very true. Can you kind of break down like what is self-worth compared to like, what do we mistake it for a lot too?
1: I think we mistake self-worth for self-confidence. And that's why I think I was really confused by it because I'm a very confident person and have always been a very confident person. I was always very sure of my values. So I felt like I'm confident. I know what my values are. I don't let people cross that boundary, but there's this part of me every day that question, well, what else can I do to get people to like me? What else can I do to be what other people need? What else can I do to show the world that I am enough. It's the feeling enough because confidence, you can confidence is like a shield you can put up where you can go. Like, I can have confidence. I can walk into a room and feel comfortable. I can speak in front of thousands of people and it's no problem. But all of a sudden, my insecurities in relationships, in one-on-one, that's where my self-worth stuff comes up. And I feel like self-worth is this inner knowing as I am in every moment of my life without having to do anything. I'm worthy of everything that comes my way. I'm worthy of all the good. I'm worthy of good that I don't even know is out there. And I really do think that self-worth is getting those voices in your head that constantly can berate you and tell you you're not enough to start saying, Oh no, you are valuable. You are enough. And it's more of that inner knowing than it is an outer expression to the world. I would say. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's different for every person on my podcast. I always ask, how do you define self-worth? Because we all come at it from a different way and there's no one definition, but I think for me it is very much that inner knowing when I'm quiet And the world goes the way that I know I'm inherently valuable.
0: Obviously we're talking to mostly women because there's a lot of women that listen to this podcast, but I think guys can struggle in their own way. Right. But as women very much have the comparisonitis we have, I mean, social media plays a huge role. It's very much our self-worth is determined by everything else around us versus our own internal value and how we see ourselves, I think is huge. So What are things that people can do to start to find that within themselves versus if they do start to kind of recognize when they are quiet, when they're sitting by themselves, that they are noticing that their self-worth is determined by these other things, what can they do?
1: I think one of the fastest things you can do is... Bring that awareness is start to notice when you're beating up on yourself, when you notice that voice go dark and then take into account what situations am I in? Where am I putting myself that makes me feel less than valuable? Who am I allowing to steal that magic? Who am I letting in that's zapping it? so to speak. And I think the first external factor is pay a lot of attention to who you have around you and who is fueling you and who is kind of zapping the life out of your self-worth. And so a quick audit of who you have around and focusing on Being around the people talking to the people that tend to build you up as opposed to tear you down is a great kind of external way while you're doing the inner work that awareness is huge. So I'm a big fan of journaling and being honest with yourself in your journal, which is really hard, that will bring a lot of awareness so it kind of feeds off of each other. And mantras are amazing, but I do think mantras have to be done in conjunction with a real mindset shift because you don't just wake up one day going, I'm worthy, I'm worthy, I'm worthy. And Now you're magically feel worthy. It's like, you know, I wish it were that easy, but it's this awareness of the patterns you create. And then in the moments where you do feel worthy because we all have those moments there, whatever it is, whether it's when someone smiles at you walking down the street or you make a killer dinner and it tastes amazing, whether it's for you or for someone else, or you look in the mirror, even if it's occasionally and go, I look great today. I feel good today. It's an awareness of those moments. And in those moments cementing in your mind, I feel worthy right now. So in those moments where you don't feel as worthy, you can play the tape of the moments in your head where you do feel worthy and start to shift that mindset. So I learned that tool from my friend, Emily Lies, who's a brain training specialist. And she is amazing about really shifting the actual neural pathways in your mind. I'm a big fan of journaling, practicing self-care, which is hard for me to do because I'm a big doer. I'm not a great beer. I'm working on it. But finding ways to show yourself love, that you're worthy of love, that you're worthy of time, We are so concerned with showing everybody else how much we can get done in a day, but to step back and go, yeah, I'm worthy of the time to take a bubble bath or the time to meditate or the time to journal or the time to bake cookies that I want to eat, whatever that is, show yourself that love because the more you do that, the more you're training yourself to believe it that you're worthy of the time. And I'm also a big fan of therapy and coaching. I've had both. I still go to therapy. I'm a verbal processor. So that's a great space for me to talk it through, but I don't shy away from seeing a mental health professional to help you on the journey too.
0: I think you made a really good point too, is that it's something you're still working on, right? We're always going to be working on it. So we should never have the expectation that we're going to get to this point where you're like, I'm just healed. I'm great, all right? Like we're always going to have something to work on in ourselves, And instead of letting that be a defeating thing, right? We can look at that as like, wow, look at the different ways and layers that I can grow. And every time that there's something new coming up in my life, it's another opportunity for me to grow and move past this person that I used to be where I didn't have any self worth or anything. As you're saying that I was kind of thinking back to like a couple years ago, you know, in different layers, I used to very much be the rescuer. And I see it a lot with women that I work with too, where it's the needing to step into rescue because that's where we find our worth, right? We need to be the person that does things for other people because then it makes us feel valued and it makes us feel needed. And it lets us reconfirm that we're feeling loved, right? I used to do that a lot for friends for even for my husband, right? Where I would step in and this past year was like, even in my marriage, like growing pains because I stopped being the rescuer. I finally started to say like, nope, sorry, you're gonna have to do this, right? And even growing pains, like with friendships and things where I stopped being the rescuer. And that sometimes can mean, You're letting go of relationships where you're realizing, you know what, this was very much a one-way relationship. I was always the rescuer for this person, but they were never returning the favor back over. And it's a process of grief a little bit that I think we always think of grief as this thing when we're, when we lost somebody, right. And I've lost my dad. So I know what that feels like, but it was almost like that feeling all over again, when you're kind of moving forward from those things. So It's an uncomfortable place. And sometimes when we're in those uncomfortable feelings, we think it's wrong.
1: 1,000%. And I think that the hardest thing is allowing yourself to actually feel those uncomfortable feelings. And that's something I talk a lot about in my course, Flip the Script, about how to process those emotions and allow yourself to feel them. Because sitting in them is probably the most important thing to do when you're first feeling. But it's so uncomfortable because we're taught not to like those emotions were taught to say, no, no, I'd rather just be happy all the time. And when we first popped on before we started recording, I was talking about, I'm having a hard week this week. I've been feeling really low and even admitting it, even saying I've been having a low week this week when I'm known as a super upbeat, positive person is still really hard for me, but also discharges the energy so that I can then Move on and go, okay, you know what? I'm having a low week, but this is a highlight. It's so much fun to be here and to get to chat with you and to have time to have the space for myself. And if you can acknowledge and validate your own feelings as completely valid, whatever they are in any given circumstance, and say, I'm gonna feel these and then I'm gonna move on. You know, you don't want to get stuck in them forever. But Mm -hmm. allowing yourself to feel, I think is also a huge and important thing that you brought up is that those. Allowing yourself to feel, allowing yourself to be where you are, meet yourself where you would meet a friend. Like you would never ask your friend, just get over and be fun again. You know, it's like you'd ask, Oh, hey, what's going on? Let's talk about it. Let me be here for you. And so allowing yourself to mourn relationships, mourn the changing and friendships and familial relationships, it's really
0: hard, but so important. I've seen it so much since becoming a parent since having our daughter and I mean, our son doesn't fully talk yet, but especially since our toddler, our daughter talks a lot. My husband and I've had this conversation where we're working with her through expressing her emotions and telling us how she feels in so much of growing up. We always are taught that like even anger, or like you said, having low moments and things aren't okay. Right. Where it gets dismissed. It gets, you know, like we'll often tell kids, like if they're throwing a fit or something like you're fine, you're okay. Right. And my husband and I have both done it. And we catch ourselves and I'll like he'll catch me or I'll catch him like stop dismissing her right because you don't realize that you're doing it it's what you were conditioned with but it's having the conversation of like hey it's okay and it's healthy for us to have those times it's yeah. healthy for us to have those lower moments it's healthy for us to be angry it's actually okay but it's the knowing how to deal with that because that transpires later as we're adults into us feeling so uncomfortable with those emotions that we lead to the short term gratification that's going to give us that quick feeling of happiness. Right. And that leads to so much of even nutrition. Right. And health and fitness things where when we're going through nutrition changes, we're so uncomfortable with it that we're going to go eat the pint of ice cream. We're going to go choose the quick thing because it's so uncomfortable to make some of those choices because we're not used to dealing with those emotions.
1: And it's so hard to watch someone you love in pain. So it's much easier to say, it's okay. It's okay. Stop being sad or angry or mad or whatever your child, your partner, your friend, you want it to be over faster. You want it to be done. You know, this is not comfortable for me to watch you in this place. And I've watched myself do it with my husband too, going, but don't be sad. It's okay. Don't, whereas if the roles were reversed, of course I'm sad. I'm going to cry. I'm upset, whatever it is and allow myself to process it. But it's hard to watch someone else process those emotions, but it is important. I remember as like a, a kid and a teenager being told to buck up and be pleasant. And it doesn't matter where your emotional state is. The expectation is that you're going to make other people's lives uncomfortable by showing emotion, by being upset. And the bottom line is if you make other people uncomfortable, it's okay. We are not instruments of just trying to make everyone else more comfortable, even yeah. though that's what I think we are totally conditioned to do, especially as women, is that yeah. we are here to make other people feel more comfortable.
0: Redefining your self worth. And we, you know, we kind of walk through like what we can do to kind of find that. So after you've really identified that what are some things that you can do to kind of work through that? Or like, what are the next steps essentially?
1: Yeah. I think a big part of it is deciding what you want it to be. So, you know, when I say we define our worth, it's on the little neon sign behind me, but (laughs) I need the constant reminder, but you get to wake up in the morning and decide how you want to feel about yourself. So envisioning that, taking time to really sit with it and Write it down, even kind of like a manifesto for how you want to feel about yourself and coming back to that every day and every moment that you notice yourself slipping away from it going, how can I change my mindset? How can I shift here to get back to what my manifesto is to get back to how it is I want to feel about myself because you have a choice in every moment. Every single moment you get to choose how you want to show up, how you want to feel, even though I think that's sometimes an unpopular opinion because it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But in every moment you get to choose how you want to feel. So I think recognizing that you always have a choice and remembering that in those moments you can choose and define the moment for yourself, however you want it, you know, one of my, and I'm going on a tiny tangent here, but one of my favorite examples of this is in a car accident. There's the, the one driver saw there's what the other driver saw. And then there's what a bystander saw. And none of those are capital T truth. That is all our own experience. That is us bringing all kinds of past experiences with us to that moment and deciding what version of the truth it is for us. And so I think it's that recognition of choice in every moment. Uh, creating a self-care routine, I'm a big fan of, because once you create a routine and a habit out of self-care, it's much harder to fall off the wagon, so to speak. And it's still a challenge. I still, okay, you know, new year started. Okay. I'm going to have, you know, I'm going to meditate and journal every day and that stuff gets interrupted. So don't beat yourself up when it gets interrupted, but have a routine that you can fall back on. and recognize how you're showing up with that awareness. And then in that awareness, decide what you want to do. Do I want to get a coach so I can get extra steps or the next steps to partner with someone is super powerful. And even if it's not a coach, if it's a friend to say, Hey, I need you to hold me accountable when I go on this kind of spiral, or I need you to be my person that I can talk to and vent to and setting boundaries for that venting. You know, I don't need to be fixed. I don't need to be changed. I'm whole and worthy as I am, but I need you to hear me and be in this space with me. It's that taking that awareness and deciding what you want to do with it, deciding, okay, I want to feel different. Okay. What is it that I want to be feeling? I want to feel like I'm valuable right now. So define success for yourself, that we get really caught up in the societal idea of success. I do that all the time. I feel like I don't make enough money right now. I should be making more money. I don't want my husband to be the breadwinner. I want to be making more. I want to be doing this, but that's not the career I've created for myself right now. And we get to define what success is for us. And so for me, it's joy and love and self-acceptance. And I am successful already when that's my definition. So redefine success, redefine achievement. And when I say redefine, I mean, literally write it down on a piece of paper because we get to decide what every word in the English language means to us. You know, hardworking doesn't need to mean being tied to your desk constantly. It can also mean consistent time, energy, effort, and care in to something you deem worthy of your time. So I think it's really a process of redefining all of what makes us feel unworthy. It's yeah. redefining success, redefining our body image, redefining the way we want to show up and actually writing it out. That's what I feel are the next steps is then deciding what it is you want it to be and then create a plan of action. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a girl with a plan all way and the plan will always go awry, but somehow I end up where I need to be. So, you know, decide what are the things that you need to do because you know them, you just don't know, you know them. So what are the things you need to do to feel that way? Access the friends and the family that build you up, read books that make you feel good and let you, you know, escape to some magical world, whatever it is to have a great cup of tea, find those things and tap into them as often as possible. And I hope all making sense. I'm very excited about different things right now, but those are the, you know, really redefine decide what you want your plan of action to be and
0: use that awareness for something. I have so many thoughts, but I think the biggest thing is that when we look at self-care too, you kind of nailed it, right? It's not just the massages and pedicures and to like go get a facial. While that can be self-care, that's not a majority of it. Self-care is getting real with yourself and supporting yourself and being honest with yourself about what you really need. And it can be hiring a coach. We resist that so much because we look at the cost. We look at what it's going to be, but we don't look at, you know what? If I keep beating myself up the way I am right now and spinning and sort circles and feeling stuck like I am, where am I going to be a year from now? Versus if I hire someone to help hold the accountability and move me through this, where could I really be a year from now? Right? Looking at those things. And also... The self-care, you have to be realistic with yourself about what it is, right? Like I said earlier, I resisted journaling. Well, because I was resisting it, I actually really needed it. Sometimes the thing that we're resisting is the thing that we really need the most. Like mantras, like you mentioned, I've done them. But the whole time I'm doing the mantra in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. <laughs> like, that's not yeah. like, right? like I'm thinking like, yeah. you don't really believe this, right? You're saying this. So then I had to work through like, why do I not believe this, right? Why am I not able to say this? And believe that this is true. So, self care is not just a facial. Self care is truly working through your shit and what you need so that you can start to find that and really realizing, like, why don't I have self worth? Why am I feeling this way? And if we think that, obviously, I talk nutrition a lot too. So, if we think that nutrition is just about nutrition, it's not. It's about all of these different things. The nutrition is the byproduct of your self-worth and of your daily habits and the things that you're doing. So start there and then you'll find will be a lot easier to maintain once you have these things mastered
1: too. 1000%. And like the best self-care is really inexpensive or free. It's getting enough sleep. It's you know, making sure that you're eating in a way that makes you feel good and exercising. You can do all of these things for pretty much free besides, you know, buying food. But I mean, really you have access to tools that you don't have to spend a ton of money on, that you don't have to wait until you can pay for a massage or until you have time for a massage. You can take a walk around the block with your dog. And take care of yourself because the second you take the time for self-care, you reduce your stress, first of all, and you also build up your resilience. So you build up this kind of like booster foundation where you don't break down as easily, you don't get flustered as easily, and that foundation really is where your self-worth can live because you've said I'm worthy of this time to take care of myself. When I take care of myself, I am less stressed. I'm a better human for myself and others and I can handle whatever comes my way, but you don't feel the same need to just keep going and doing and going and doing because you've really initiated taking pauses for yourself doing what it is that you need and asking yourself what you need. And that's the first step to self-worth is what do I need? Because I am worthy of figuring that out. And that's awesome. And I think it ties to nutrition and exercise a thousand percent because our self-worth is so intertwined with body image and what we see in the outside world and how we want to fuel ourselves. And that is. Oh yes. Another entire can of worms.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I had a conversation with a client the other day. She had told me, she's like, you know, I had the intention of cleaning out my office when my husband went to go do something. And she was like, and then I didn't do it. I laid there and watched Netflix. And I was like, okay. And I was like, so you took some time to decompress, right? And I said, awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. And I said, but also I want you to think about it this way cleaning out your office was going to help you feel more productive during the week, right? It was something that you felt like you needed to do because you were getting overwhelmed by your office. What did you lay there watching Netflix doing, right? Like, did you lay there relaxing, watching Netflix? Or did you lay there with your mindset of, I should be cleaning out my office right now. Why am I not doing this? I need to go do this. And continually having that story in your head, right? So I said, you weren't actually relaxing watching Netflix. You were basically torturing yourself, right? You didn't do it. So then after you were done watching Netflix and you realized you didn't clean out your office, what was the story you were telling yourself after that, right? you're a failure. You never do these things. You always procrastinate. What's the stuff that comes up, right? So sometimes finding your self-worth means that we're going to have to take the action that we don't feel like doing because we need to do it because it's going to help us feel how we wanted to feel in the long run, right? It means maybe setting aside the how we temporarily feel for how we want a long-term feel too.
1: Absolutely. Or if you're able to, Say, I don't have the energy for this right now, recognizing where you're at. I cannot Mm -hmm. possibly organize my office right now. Setting a date and a time where you want to do it and know you say, okay, this is my set aside time. But then if you're going to go watch the TV, you have to watch it guilt free. Okay, I'm going to go binge Netflix because that is all I can possibly manage right now. I know that feeling of overwhelm and feeling too full to possibly let anything else in. But I also do think what you said, like self-care for me is sometimes getting a little bit more done today so that tomorrow I can have more free time. And I'll often get like, no, you're staying in the office too late. You're doing too much. You should be taking more breaks. And I'm like, but sometimes my self-care is saying, I'm going to do a little bit extra today. I'm going to work a little bit later today, but then tomorrow I can actually take a much longer, much more relaxed break because what's been on my mind is done. And, but then it's actually having to take that break
0: the next day. (laughs) Yes. Sometimes it's taking that action, regardless of how you feel in that moment, right? And then if you don't feel like taking that action in that moment, then it's giving yourself the grace to do whatever you do feel like doing.
1: Grace is was my lesson of 2021
0: and <laughs> now into 2022, for sure. <laughs> lesson for a lot of us in that yeah. year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit because I saw that you're starting a nonprofit. Tell me about it. Yeah. I'm so excited. I love talking
1: about dance in color. So in 2020, a few of my friends and my husband and I founded dance in color, which is an, I was a dancer, grew up as a dancer, dance major in college, and it is a nonprofit organization that provides scholarships to young dancers of color so that there is no financial boundary to pursuing their dreams in dance, particularly ballet, which is what we focus on right now is a very whitewashed art form, sport, whatever you want to qualify it as. And it is an uphill battle at times to change and shift the mindset around what people expect ballerinas and male ballet dancers to be and to look like and how they show up. So the four of us, five of us have really been working towards finding exceptionally talented young dancers of color to support through uh, various ballet programs around the country. We have one incredible student at the International City School for Ballet in Georgia, and we have two students here in LA. Some are more recreational, some are more on the pre-professional track. It's more about saying, you want to dance, you want that access. It's a really expensive art form to be a part of. You have not only The tuition, which you know for one of our students is eleven thousand dollars a year, and then on top of that, you have point shoes and ballet shoes and leotards and tights. And if you want to be in the Nutcracker, it's an additional cost. If you want to be in the spring performance, it's an additional cost. If you know you need a costume for a competition or competition entry fees, it's just really expensive. And I think the arts are such a powerful tool to use to change the way people see the world. And Our focus is equity and equality and education as well. So our hope is that not only we'll be able to send young dancers of color out into the world as incredible professional dancers or if they want to pursue it recreationally, but also to help educate as many people as possible about equity and equality in terms of race. And, you know, personally for me, always the LGBTQ plus community is a big part of my heart. So in terms of race and equality in every sense of the word for all people, that is what we do at Dance in Color.
0: I love that. So I was a dancer for 13 years growing up, mostly ballet too. And our daughter started ballet this year and I did several different dances. And I did competitive dance. And I used to always hear my mom talk about how expensive dance was. And I never understood until we paid for dance for our daughter this year. And I was like, holy crap, this stuff adds up real quick. It's
1: crazy. I grew up with Adrian, one of our co-founders. He's now a professional dancer in Russia. And he was always on scholarship. I had no idea growing up, you know, his mom wouldn't have been able to afford the classes. And it's not only that it's transportation. It's having the time to get your child back and forth to class. And so whatever kind of burden we can lift for parents, for students. So there isn't this big barrier because my goodness, it is. It's so expensive to be a dancer, especially if you want to be included and we would never want our students to say, well, I can't be in the nutcracker because there's a $500 performance fee. And that would break my heart if that was a barrier to anyone. Yeah. I love that.
0: That's amazing. Thanks.
1: It's been fun. It's definitely been a passion project. It was born also out of 2020 and realizing that I was highly uneducated in terms of racial inequities and needing to learn and do my part. And I have focused on the LGBTQ community so much that I'd really not paid attention to racism in our country, especially. And realizing that I had a lot of a lot to learn and it was born out of my want to learn and then to do something with that information and knowledge and not just have it be a passing fad of, oh yeah, I read a book about, you know, unlearning my inherent racism in 2020 and now like check done. You know, I did my part really trying to make change in some kind of way, because I think if we can support each other, no matter how we are different, the more beautiful our world is going to become. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you grew up though in A place where it is so much easier for you to be more passionate, right? About that because you grew up seeing that and experiencing that firsthand, right? But I think that is amazing because then you can take what you grew up with and you can understand that there's another side too that can use that support and use that help as well. And now you're able to take that, but you're able to take that with compassion because you experienced it from one aspect and now you can take that compassion into a whole nother side too to support as well.
1: Absolutely. It's, I faced my own adversity when, you know, there are people protesting on the street saying that my family shouldn't be a family. I put a speech from my parents' wedding. They got legally married in 2008 when I was 15 and I put my speech from their wedding on YouTube and I got a ton of love from it. I got a, you know, a lot of wonderful feedback, but I also got feedback. People saying, oh, you're all going to get AIDS and die or all going to hell or you're an abomination. We heard all kinds of things. So I understand Certain kinds of adversity. I recognize that in some ways, you know, people have the privilege of never having had to think about their family being questioned by politics. They can go into a voting booth and make a decision and they don't have to think about my family. But I also go into voting booths and make decisions without having to think about the color of my skin and without having to think about other kinds of privilege or lack thereof. And I think that's something we all have certain kinds of privilege and not others. And I think a recognition of just because I faced adversity here, doesn't mean that, you know, I get to now say, well, I faced adversity, so I don't have to think about any other people or I don't have to have empathy or understanding. You know, I think there's a lot of room for growth and empathy, especially here in- the U S and I think the more we can say, let me hear your story. Let me understand who you are and not just dismiss someone because they're different from us or because it's inconvenient for us. The more we have a huge opportunity to grow and to teach our kids and to be more evolved, loving humans. And I think where there is love, it's a lot harder to hate or feel a lack of empathy for people.
0: Yeah, You know, to that point too, where we have a lot of growth, Also, it's okay for us to recognize how much growth we've done while at the same time, it can also be true that we still have room to grow, right? Just the same as a self-worth. It's okay to recognize that you've done so much, but it's also okay to still say that you have room to grow as well, right? A lot of times people's combative argument to that is going to be like, well, we're so much better off than this, this, or this. And I'm like, well, that's great. We are. We're so much better off. But at the same time, that doesn't mean that we don't have areas that we can improve. That's
1: the beauty of life, right? Is that we're never done. That's the wonderful thing. We can look at it as this horrible thing that we always have more to do. That it's never over. Change that perspective. It's never over. We get to do this forever and learn and show up and screw up and then apologize for messing up and moving on and and I think that's the biggest, most beautiful, wonderful thing that there is about life: is that there always is more to learn, so it's never going to get boring. There will always be more to do and grow. And yes, of course, we are way more evolved today than we were a hundred years ago. That's awesome, you
0: yeah.
1: know. <laughs> but we always love more to do. I mean, I'm Jewish, and my husband is German, like from Germany. He moved here when he was 22, and you know, a hundred years ago, that wouldn't have. been been okay. A Catholic guy from Germany marrying a Jewish girl, It wouldn't have been okay a hundred years ago in the same way that it is today. But that doesn't mean that we don't have more work to evolve and grow and change. And I'm just repeating
0: exactly what you said, but I very much agree with it. (laughs) (laughs) No, I totally agree with you. Everything we've talked about can relate back to that, right? When you have the people, like you have an amazing story, and you have a lot of things that you can share. And when you have the people who are giving you love and things towards it, that's amazing. But then when you have those people who have the negative things to say, when you're coming from that place where you do have that self worth, and you've done the self care and things instead of reacting to that, now you have the ability to respond to that and to be like, you know what, I'm sorry for whatever it is that you've been raised with grown up with whatever triggered you or has made you feel that way that you've find it necessary to respond to someone that way, right? And if only so many of us could do so much more work in the self-care and finding our own self-worth, we would be able to grow in those other areas so much more. And I think we're always going to have the assholes at the end of the day, right? Like, I don't think we're ever going to entirely get rid of them, but we can invite people in versus shutting them out. But that only happens when we find our own self-worth and we can respond versus reacting. Exactly. Cause you can
1: take so much more in stride. One of the things that I learned in 2020 and in founding dance and color is you're going to stick your foot in your mouth, sometimes very unintentionally. You know, I very much consider I'm not a racist person. I'm not, I don't see anything wrong. I stick my foot in my mouth all the time. And the best thing you can do is say, Oh my goodness, I'm so sorry. You're right. That was racist, homophobic, sexist, whatever it is, ageist, ableist, whatever it is that yes, I'm so sorry. You're right. Let me learn from it, apologize and move on because our gut reaction is to get defensive and to say, I'm not that I'm not that. And I think in working on our self-worth, we create a lot more empathy and room to grow and room to be wrong because being wrong or someone saying, oh, that hurt me or, oh, this came across a certain way, you can go, Oh, you know what? That was not my intention. Okay. But let me learn from it. You have a lot more space to do that because inherently, you know, you're valuable, you're enough, and you're a human being here to learn and screw up and learn again. And I think there's just a lot more room for that when you inherently feel valuable because it's uncomfortable and hard to admit when you're wrong. And look, when someone gives me hate online or on social media, I am no stranger to that, but I know for a fact in my heart that that is not about me. That is about them and their experience. And that is also something working on my self-worth has given me because if I took all of that to heart, if I took every time someone Said something that made me feel crappy, then think that it was my fault and think that it was about me, I would never leave my house. (laughs) So, you know, I think that's important to remember that there are times to apologize and say, let me learn from this. But there are also times if people are attacking you, that's not about you, that's about them.
0: A hundred percent. And when you have that place where you have your self worth, when you've done the self care and things, then those things aren't going to impact you as much because then you realize not only is it not about you, but even if you are wrong, you being wrong doesn't mean you're a bad person. You being wrong doesn't mean anything about your integrity or anything along those lines. You're just wrong, and that's okay. It's okay for you to have the space to learn and grow, but sometimes when yeah. we view us being wrong, we think it's attack on us as our character and our integrity and we want to defend that. And when you realize that those are two separate things, it's okay.
1: Yeah, you are not a bad person for being wrong because nothing is black and white. Totally, absolutely. You're not a bad person if you're wrong or if you do something wrong. I tell this story in my book about a girl that I Oh, I went to an all-girls high school, so gossip was like rampant. Mind games were every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something we battled, but I really wanted to fit in. And so I made up gossip about this girl and said it. And from around the corner, I heard her say, "You know I'm right here, right?" And my heart sunk and I felt immediately horrible. And I knew in that moment, I had two options. I could run away, pretend it didn't happen and that it wasn't me, or I could walk right up to her and say, I am so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That was a really mean thing for me to do. And can I give you a hug? And that's exactly what I did. I walked around the corner. I said, I totally made that up. You're right. And I'll make it right. I'll tell everyone I made that up and I'm sorry. And can I have a hug? And shockingly, she hugged me. She didn't punch me in the face or anything. I think she was shocked that I was just like, okay, I guess I'm just going to own this. But you know, and then I called my dad from the school bathroom, cried, I'm a horrible person. I'm a horrible person. You're not a horrible person. You made a mistake and you owned it. And that's okay. Now move on. If, and yeah. if she can't move on, that's on her, not on you. Because you apologized. You did what you could. You know, you'll never do it again. Now move on. And that's that. And I always think yeah, that didn't make me a horrible person. I made a mistake. I did something stupid. I was kind of an asshole. And now let's move on and know that I won't do it again. Yeah. It was so
0: great to chat with you today. Thank you for coming to hang with us.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to have gotten to, this has just been a wonderful conversation. So thank you for the opportunity. Thanks, Chelsea. Where can people find you? So I have a website, Austin.com. And on there, you can find everything, pre-order my book, find my podcast, my blog, um, or on social media. I'm at M D W on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter. You can find me everywhere. I'm on all the platforms. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Thank
0: Yay. you. You have a good day. You too. <laughs> And that's it for this episode on the Power of a Woman podcast. If any part of this episode resonated with you, I would greatly appreciate you giving it a review, sharing it on your social media, and tagging me for another woman who may need to hear it too. If changing the narrative is something you're ready to take action on, my coaching programs are set up to help you do just that. We will address the nutrition, movement, lifestyle, stress, gut health, and hormonal needs that you individually have as a woman so that we can help you feel your absolute best and own your power too. Connect with me on Instagram at brookrazzi or head over to my website at brookrazzi.com to learn more.